Good morning. Christopher's passing out a handout. As he's doing that, there's two sign-up sheets on the um, refreshment table there I want you to take a look at after our time of meeting here. One would be for the concert in the park that's happening this coming Saturday, beginning at 3.30. And there's going to be some different um, things to do to help get ready for that before and after, clean up after and some setup before. If you're able to come uh, uh, earlier, there's a place to mark there for that. If you're able to help afterward, tear down a little bit, there's a place to mark for that. Uh, and if you can sign up, I'll contact you and figure out what is going to work best for you or your family in terms of some different things that we need to have done. So that's one sign-up sheet. The other one would be for our second Saturday of the month men's discipleship that we always have at 7.45 a.m. on the second Saturday of the month. We're going to be starting a new study using the book uh, by Kevin DeYoung, The Whole in Our Holiness. It's a short, small book on holiness, um, akin to J.C. Ryle's book on holiness. And we need to know the men that are interested in coming to that so we can order an appropriate number of books for the November study, or the November meeting there. So there's that sign-up sheet as well. I encourage you to take a look at both of those. Let's pray and ask the Lord for grace upon our time here. Father in heaven, we, <clears throat> we've just seen through this story of Miriam, your grace and your mercy upon undeserving people. And Father, you, by the law, we stand accused and we stand in judgment. I uh, stand de- deserving of the full wrath and punishment of God. But that's not how we stand before you this morning, Lord. We stand before your throne of grace, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Not just simply justified, but as we'll see in the main service here in a few minutes, adopted. We have the full measure and wrath of God set up upon Christ on our behalf and then we have your full measure of love and care and the grand doctrine of adoption placed upon us and we are sons and daughters of the king Lord we rejoice in that this morning we find our confidence there we find our identity in the person and work of Christ we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity this morning to look at some truths and to learn more about how to better proclaim and share this glorious message of the fact that Jesus saves. So we ask now for you to help us, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We dealt with how to deal with rejection last week and our study on uh, evangelism, and that's really more of an internal study of and when somebody rejects you as you present the gospel to them, how do you deal with it 
in your own mind and heart. Today we're going to be looking at answering questions or objections. This would be more external. How are we going to externally, how are we going to engage those people who have rejected us or engage those people who have asked us questions? Most times when someone shares the gospel, it's it's probably rare, if ever, that they just you know literally fall down on their knees and are repenting of their sin and, and weeping and coming for Christ. I'm sure those things do happen, but most of the time it's a long process and a lot of conversation and a lot of questions and a lot of uh, deep, long conversations, a lot of time, a lot of meetings, a lot of patience as we would share the truth with them. And that's really what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at two things. One, how the Bible tells us to handle questions and objections. And you should see on your handout there six ways that we see the Bible teaches us how to handle questions and objections. And then the second one there is what to say to the most common questions and objections. So in the remaining time that we have, I'm going to, I'm going to fly through the first six. Because in some ways this is review. We've talked about many of these things. And I want to get to the second part there um, to help us uh, on some of the more common questions and objections that come up. As a, as a, a plug for two resources, if you have questions r- regarding apologetics, which is kind of what we're talking about this morning, and uh, you want to go to uh, some place on the website to get some, some pretty good answers, there's two websites I would recommend. They're not above the Bible. The Bible is the only infallible and errant word of God. And go there, be a good Berean. But some help on some things. There's two of them. One of them is CARM. Do we have a, we don't have a marker. CARM, C-A-R-M, C-A-R-M dot org. That's the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. Um, the gentleman who runs that comes from a Reformed uh, understanding uh, and has done a really good job, carm, C-A-R-M, dot O-R-G. The other one that actually I've been benefited from greatly would be gotquestions.org. Gotquestions.org. It was a guy who came out of the min, uh, uh, seminary early 2000s, I'm um, thinking 2004, and was really not sure what the Lord was having him do and decided to start a little blog on answering some common questions and objections, and it's exploded. And I think they have 1.7 million views per month or something. They have all kinds of interesting stuff. But he's really done a good job of writing a really balanced thing. Um, again, the Bible's the only inerrant, infallible word of God, but uh, both of those are good resources if you're, if you're interested in some things. So, number one <clears throat> on your handout there, how should we answer objections to the gospel? How should we answer objections to the gospel? Six things. Number one, we should expect we should expect objections and questions when sharing our faith. The Bible says we, that we should expect this. And fundamentally, it's uh, not about us or our explanation. We talked about this last week. It's about them. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 Paul continues, the, per, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Five times in the Gospels, Christ tells us, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Talking about the spiritually deaf, being spiritually dead, and the need for, for God to do the work to regenerate them. So we should expect objections and questions when sharing our faith. That should not lead us to fear 
or despair. If anything, that should motivate us uh, and, and stiffen us to the realization that this is the word of God, this is the work of God, and delight to be involved in that. Second question, second uh, point there on your handout, and I would encourage you, uh, if you're putting down a, a, a um, passage, you might put down 1 Peter 3.15. I'm not sure if it's there or not. 1 Peter 3.15, is it there? Good, 1 Peter 3.15. Um, it says, with gentleness and respect... With gentleness and respect is the appropriate way we are to answer these questions. I'm reading from 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Verse 16. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience. How we answer someone's questions and objections is oftentimes more important as to what we actually tell them. Now, if we're telling them falsehood, that's, you can kill that statement. But if we're telling them the truth and we're telling them it in a mean-spirited way, uh, we're just being a real mean person about it, it's not, uh, that's, this is a violation of the scriptures. It should be done with gentleness and respect. It shouldn't be demeaning. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we should be loving and gracious toward people with questions and objections. I think there is a, I think there's a difficulty in understanding how to practically do this. Ephesians 4 talks about speaking the truth in love, and there's a, there's often times, I think, in our desire to be gracious and kind and loving that in the desire to do that, which is good, we can, if we're not careful, we can kind of go wimpy on the truth. Meaning if, I, if I'm not going to give this, if I, I, I'm not going to be able to give them flat out the truth. For instance, I was on the phone the other day with a gentleman. We were talking about homosexuality. And he said, well, you know, I, I, I believe they're not, I, I believe they didn't choose to do this. So what he's saying is they're made that way. Well, I have two. I have two responses. I can say, well, you know, I was on the phone, so I did the <laughs> diplomatic thing. I said, you know, I think we need to talk about this more because <laughs> I need to get in front of him and say, let's go to Genesis. What does Scripture say? But that can be very lovingly and graciously done, um, and not be wimpy on the truth. So we really need to be. We need to make sure that we give them the truth because the whole. This is all encased in the realization that the Spirit's going to do the work. They're the ones who are going to have to soften this hard heart. And we are shackling, handcuffing the spirit if we're going to not use the word of truth to do that. Uh, Romans 9 verse 3 is uh, Paul's heart for how he's going to deal with others. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Just looking at others in need and, and really dealing with them graciously. First point, we should expect objections and questions when sharing our faith. Point number two, we should handle objections with gentleness and respect. Point number three, 
Remember God's saving power is in the gospel and not our apologetics. We certainly talked about this last week, that if we could answer every objection or question, people are not going to believe without God's Spirit moving upon them. So a perfect gospel presentation or a perfect apologetics uh, discussion isn't going to bring them to the Lord. It's the power of the gospel. Mark said that. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Josh McDowell, uh, writing the book More Than a Carpenter, quote, "When When it comes to apologetics, we should seek to answer people's questions as honestly as possible and then point them to the cross. So certainly we are going to answer, hope to answer the questions if we can, but we're ultimately going to point them to the cross. We're only ultimately going to point them to the gospel, even if they're asking ridiculous questions, which is leading us to point number four. Moving along, sometimes you should not immediately answer a question. Point number four. Randy Newman um, from Crew, which used to be Campus Crusade for Christ, did a study on how Jesus answered questions and found that over half the time Jesus didn't immediately answer them. For instance, when Jesus was asked about taxes in Matthew 22, 20, he asked them, whose likeness inscription is this? Divorce and remarriage, Mark 10, responds by asking, what did Moses command you? Rich young ruler asking about eternal life, Mark 10, 18, why do you call me good? Why do you think Christ asked questions in response to their questions? And cover the intent of their heart, Mrs. Pradia? They well, excuse me? Yeah. A lot of times when pe- she said a lot of times when people ask you the question, they already know the answer. Good. So it's engaging them in conversation. A lot of times they want they just want you to answer. Um, or they want to see how you answer because they already think they know the answer and then they kind of want to get into it. If you asking them, you can begin to really engage them in conversation and make them think a little bit about this. Let's, yes. Else about. Yeah. Jesus was teaching somebody else yeah. Along with yes. Um, thank you for reminding me because I'm going to go to another passage that's not in my notes. I want to show that. John 4. Let's go to John 4. This is the story of the woman at the well. We know this well. He's he's into a spiritual conversation with her, although she doesn't realize that yet. And verse 16, John 4, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So she really kind of takes a, gets a realization that there's going to be, this is some sort of spiritual conversations going along, because obviously this guy knows something about her that he wouldn't normally know, just meeting her at the well, the fact that. Uh, of her of her past relationships, she perceives that he's a prophet, and then she kind of turns this. Let's ask a let's ask a let's ask a question. 
I'm not really interested in talking about my past and all my sin, and that's, you know, that's just not something I'm like really wanting to talk about here. So let's ask a question and see if I can stump him. Let's go to, where should we worship, this mountain or that mountain? And he just completely bypasses it because he's going for, as, as Tim said, the heart of the matter. Woman, believe, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Well, that wasn't in her thought process of where he was going to go. She was thinking, well, he's going to say Jerusalem. Oh, no, no, neither one of those. Well, you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So really taking and moving the question, moving the conversation much closer to her heart. Much closer to her heart. Proverbs 26, 4-5 through 5, Answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself. In verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Really have to be discerning in how we would deal with these questions. Let's go over to Luke. Luke chapter... Seven. Luke chapter 7. Tom made an important point, which he said that oftentimes when Christ was asking, when someone asked a question and Christ answered with a question, he was also oftentimes teaching someone. And this is, uh, we were studying this on Wednesday night at, in our study of the life of Christ. And this is the story in verse 36 of Luke 7 of the sinful woman. Um, the, they're having this meal at Simon the Pharisee's house. Uh, this woman comes in and is kissing the feet of Jesus. She's weeping, wiping his feet with her tears, and anointing them with ointment. And pick up verse 39. Now when the Pharisee, uh, Simon, the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if the, he said to himself, we noted that on, on Wednesday, so he didn't say this out loud. Probably this was something he was thinking, or he kind of whispered to himself, this man were a prophet. Never known him what sort of woman this is. She's a sinner. So, and I, and I don't think Jesus would have been able to hear that because the woman is, ah, and she's weeping at his feet and there's the bustling of this meal going on. Jesus answer, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And he begins, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for, your, for my feet. but She's wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. There's an entire teaching moment here, coming out of a question, going for the heart of the matter. So, 
If you've ever been to uh, the Tim Bolton School of Sales, you would know that if you're in a negotiation with someone over a piece of furniture and they ask for a particular price, one question you can ask them is, now if I could get that price for you, would you be able to purchase today? You're engaging them in conversation. So if someone says, well, ask you an interesting question, one of the questions to determine whether or not he's a fool or not and the way he's asking the question would be to say, if I was able to help you answer that question according to the Bible, would that help you better understand your need for Christ? Or is this just a, does that really have anything to do with whether or not you need to, we need to talk about Jesus? So asking some questions to really work out where they're coming from. Number five in your handout. We should always be ready to play both offense and defense in evangelism. We've been talking mainly about defense and that would be answering questions wisely and honestly and humbly and graciously and having defense for the hope of Christ. But at the same time, we also have times when we need to be on the offense and asking them questions and challenging them with questions uh, about deeper issues of life of where did you come from and why are you here and where are you going and what happens when you die and where do good and bad come from? These things can be uh, questions that we can use to press onto people's hearts and, and develop a deeper relationship uh, and a deeper conversation. Um, I've been meeting with a young man. He's not here. I've been meeting with a young man that's been coming uh, to the main service a couple times. Uh, he's come a couple times. I've been meeting with him on Tuesday mornings. A guy named Justin Robbins came to the Lord four years ago. Um, probably one of the more gifted evangelists I've ever met. Uh, he has a past laden with sin. And he has, because of that, he has no qualms with anybody asking them about Jesus. And you get into a gospel conversation as naturally as probably the only other person in here I've ever seen is Tim Bolton or, or uh, Mark Kruzlowski. You can just, you can just flow right into it. So he has no problem. There's a man standing in front of him, buy, paying, you know, buying, the guy's buying chocolates from him. He looks down and says, hey, you know. He knows exactly what the tattoos mean. And I'll ask him, what do those tattoos mean? Why did you get them? And boom, he's into a conversation about the gospel. But he's asking them questions and he's playing offense. He's asking them, uh, pressing things. Why did you get that? What was happening there? So there's a need, there's oftentimes, um, that can be easier than trying to figure out, can I answer all their questions by asking them some questions, being on the offensive. Number six, if someone asks you a question you don't know how to answer, it is okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. Last night, you hear some interesting radio programs driving around at 1 a.m. in the morning. But yesterday, as 1 a.m. in the morning driving home from um, uh, a meeting with Evan Took and some other young people down in San Antonio, they had this radio program on, and they were talking about the supernatural. And so the host asked this long question to this expert on the supernatural. And you know what the guy said? I don't know. And I... And it struck me, because I knew I was going to speak on this, and it struck me because it didn't come across as this guy didn't know what he was talking about. He just said, look, we're talking about the supernatural. No one knows. I, I don't know. And I think that can, that for us as believers, we need to understand, we're talking about the God of the universe, who is a spirit. He's not confined by time or space. And we don't know a lot. We know a lot, but we don't know a whole lot more. And it's okay at times to say, I don't know. And if you're able to, to write down their question and research it, and that's a good way to continue conversation by saying, you know, I'll go, look to, I'll, I'll go do some study on that and see if we can come up with an answer. Can I get your phone number? 
Can I contact you again? Giving them an answer. But it's okay to say, I don't know. We are talking about the, an immense and amazing God. <clears throat> Anyone have any other thoughts to add to that before we move into the second part of the handout on how, how to handle or helpful tips on handling questions and objections? say maybe one out of 20 have a serious question yeah. uh, that is totally stumbling them. So when a lot of people I talk to that about giving the message of the truth about Jesus, they're concerned that they may not have the answer. And it's really, I'll be honest with you, it's not that. Right. It is rare. It is a rare occurrence where somebody has a deep theological issue that they're dealing with mm-hmm. that's stumbling them from accepting Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's mostly about the reality of their sin, mm-hmm. their separation from God. Jesus came and paid the price, and now we need to do something. Yeah. And it's to me, I, I, I always am concerned when we talk a lot about that we have to be so so equipped right because the spirit is the equipment right amen so there are other hands mark i was just going to say really along the same line i find myself forgetting that god is right there sometimes right i feel like i have to answer the question and when i remember that 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 salvation is from god that it's through the spirit I begin to pray in the spirit, just you know, without not out loud, really. But yeah. But you know how the, the scripture says, "Pray continually, pray without ceasing." And so when I realize that I'm in this uh, situation where someone, I, I can't tell, you know, why they're doing this, why are they saying this, and so a lot of times just being quiet for a moment and listening to God will give and direction that I couldn't have thought of. Yes. And sometimes I feel like I even get a, an idea of from God of what's in the heart. Here. Right. What, what real need, what real issue, and it's surprising sometimes yes. what, what God will say when I'm quiet. Amen. Yes.
And it's like, man, I don't know if this guy's going to kill my husband or knife him or what, you know. And I was terrified, so I started crying out to the Lord, and I said, Lord, what should I do? What should I do? And the Lord just spoke a word to me and said, go touch the man looking for his eyes. Hmm. And so I went, because this is non-kosher, but <laughs> I did obey the Holy Spirit. <laughs> what else can you do? So I touched him on the shoulder and I looked into his eyes. And the Spirit of God just told me to tell him, hey, we love the Jewish people very much. But we love the Palestinians too. Well, that guy did a 180 degree turnaround. He literally smiled and, and said, and apologized to us. <laughs> and by the Yes. We need to be far more, like you're saying, awesome in training. Kind of my own Bible college, you know, training and whatever we have. <laughs> you know, it's our own stuff that we're the We're moving to the second aspect of the of your handout there. If you objections and their responses the first one is how can how can you believe the bible is true wasn't the bible just a book written by men i'm not going to go into length on this um we we've studied this before uh you could take in the scripture first timothy three sixteen, uh second peter 1 20 through 21 there's a lot that has been written on the subjects in terms of the authenticity of the word of god um, in its historicity and all of the different facts that one could share about that. Um, you could ask them questions. You, know, you could ask them a question. Isn't it possible the Bible could be true? Um, but this is um, the one that I think many of us have probably heard before. I want to go in closing here really to question number two. Question number two. What about the problem of evil? How could a good God allow evil? And I appreciated what you all are saying about praying. Uh, that is something that we should always be doing when we're coming up against someone with a question is praying. I, I didn't realize how you can really do that until the last couple of years as I've taught more. There's been times I'm saying stuff that's coming out of my mouth as I'm standing from this pulpit and I'm looking into somebody's eyes and I'm literally praying in my head for this person. I'm having an entire conversation in my head with the Lord about this person and something's coming out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> But you really, I mean, John Piper talks about, you really got to be praying through your whole sermon, and, and you really can. And you can do that while you're having a conversation with them. This, so this problem about evil, how could a good God allow evil, I think that's one, if somebody ever asks you that question, you may never get it, but if somebody does, that's a question you really need to be praying about. And then here's, I'm going to explain why. Reason number one, there is, um, there is a ton of pain and suffering and evil in this world. We know this. And so, 
they're either coming from two perspectives. One is uh, they're trying to, they're coming from a, a mocking standpoint. But the other one, which is probably more likely, is that something has happened in their life that is deeply painful to them. Maybe they were abused as a child. Maybe they have lost a loved one. Maybe something in their life where they have come up against evil and pain and suffering and they understand that that is something that is around this world and they really want to know the framework of how to think through that. And you really need to be praying there because you're dealing with someone that's just not asking some two plus two question. They're really giving, you could potentially get into a real hard conversation with them. As Christians who believe in the complete sovereign and omnipotent God that he is, that he's over all these things and he's working all things out according to the purpose of his will, even the tragic situations, we have got to have, uh, we've got to have an ability to, un- to see this God who allows sin to happen and is not, yet, is not sinning when he does that. Because it's otherwise they're very difficult to explain to someone, yeah, when, 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 you're, when you were being abused or when your loved one died, God had complete control and could have stopped that. Well, the next question is, why didn't he? So what does he, did he want that to happen? Did he want me to have my, my, my boss to fire me? You've got to have, you gotta have a, a framework to be able to help them understand that. Well, the scriptures give us that, obviously. Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph, elder, older brothers selling him into slavery. He encounters them years later, and he tells us in Genesis 50, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before we died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to him, do not fear for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. There's a great sermon that John Piper has just put out on finding the will of God, and he preaches from Romans 12, 1 and 2, and he deals with this subject really, really, really well. Uh, he just put it out in the last week or two, and I would encourage you to go on desiringgod.org and listen to it. It's about 15 minutes long, but it really deals well with this subject of how uh, having a, a framework of thinking through how a sovereign God would allow Joseph's brothers to do this to him and hating it, God hating the evil that they were doing to it, to him. So the ability to know God absolutely hates that and can stop it, and if he didn't, he's still going to use that for his glory and good. That's something really difficult. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So it's the sermon is called Finding God's Will by John Piper, Romans 12, 1 through 2. And it was just, uh, I think, earlier this week. He spoke to a, 
uh, a group of young people. <clears throat> it's about finding God's will, but he deals explicitly with this question of uh, deal with the problem of evil suffering in the world and having a framework to think through that. Helping people understand that uh, God does care about evil. He absolutely hates it, and he has done something about it. And he did something about it by sending his only son to die for the, in, the, in the place of sinners who've repented of their evil deeds and trusted in Christ's atoning sacrifice. And there's also another uh, way to help people understand that God hates evil. John twelve forty seven through 48, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So I would just encourage you, if you get, I would encourage you to listen to that sermon. Uh, you can read more, and you know, obviously Romans eight twenty eight is another place to go to. The book of Job is another place to good, good place to go to. But if someone ever asks you that question, be really praying and tread carefully, because you're really getting into someone that may have. It could be a mocking question, but it also could be someone that just has a ton of pain and and a lot of difficulty from the past or something that's happened in their life, and. They don't have the gospel, so they have no understand. They have no ability to think through this and understand this and have hope in that pain. And you need to very carefully apply the 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 healing balm of the gospel to that situation. Last question on there: How do you know God exists? And can you prove to me that God exists? Uh, there's three ways you can take them uh, to help them. Um, one would be you could show them creation. But we really don't have to prove that God exists because no one can prove that God does not exist. Second Corinthians 5, 7, Paul writes, We walk by faith, not by sight, understanding that if they're wanting a proof of God's existence, um, they're trying to walk by sight and not by faith, and they need the uh, work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate them so that they can have that faith, uh, that gift of faith, as Ephesians 2 talks about. But you can point them to creation. Psalm 19, 1, and Romans 1, 18 through 32. Pointing to the Creator. Uh, you could talk to them about a conscience. The fact that they have a conscience. Romans 2. Uh, why do you hate someone who's a rapist? Why do you hate when someone gets murdered? Why do you hate when something happens in injustice in the world today? Why do you, do, why do you hate that? Why do you not like that? And Romans 2 talks about us having a conscience. How do you know? Why do you know lying is wrong? And yet everybody does it. Why do you know that's wrong? And you have a conscience. And then you could uh, always, with the point of bringing them back to Christ, number three, bringing them back to Christ, um, helping them really to see the fact that Christ was a real historical person who walked the earth, really died. um, And the fact that He's the one who founded the church. And all that we have to say came from him. And he was, he was a true and living person. So not in conclusion here, in closing, we're not to be afraid of questions and objections. That's exactly what Satan wants. And I would agree with the men and uh, women who have spoken this morning that this is, it's not something that we really, we, we need to realize it's coming. We need to have probably some good things to think through. But really, the 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 desire would be uh, prayer. Uh, be prepared. I mean, we always want to be prepared. Be prepared to have a reason for the hope that lies within you. But 
also knowing that there's no uh, amount of preparation that's going to do the work. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, in closing, as, a, as an encouragement to us, as a comfort, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this grand and glorious gospel, and we thank you, Father, for entrusting us with the responsibility of proclaiming it, and help us to do a better job of that. Help us to take more opportunities. Um, Forgive us, Father, when we're selfish. Forgive us, Father, when we are uh, prideful. May we be loving. May we look upon the world around us as Christ looked upon them with compassion. Uh, May you give us wisdom, Lord, and how to handle any questions and objections that may come up. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for the time that we've had this morning to be together. We pray now for our time of fellowship and that you would be preparing our hearts for the time of worship to come in a few minutes and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.